For some of you, this may be something like your 7,000th sermon you've listened to in your life. So just a brief reminder of, of what we're doing here. Uh, this is not primarily about information as it is about transformation. As I prepare the sermon, as you listen to the sermon, what I am after in preparation, what you are after in hearing, is God changing you, God changing me. We struggle in life, we have temptations, we have trials, we have deficiencies, and and we need His help, we need His grace. And that's what listening to sermons is about. We are on a journey consecutively through the books of First and Second Samuel. We're looking at the whole counsel of God and what he has for us. And so when we do that, we preach on passages that don't make it on the cover of, of bulletins or on church websites. Passages where God in judgment, kill someone. That is today's passage. But it is God-breathed just as much as those passages that make it on the front of church bulletins. And God has something for you and for me to learn from this passage so that we can be changed, so that we can be more like Jesus. So let's dive right in. Hopefully uh, you have your Bible in front of you, or you can grab a Bible from the chair in front of you, or you've got your device open to 2 Samuel 6. You've got that thing on airplane mode, or galaxy mode, or silent mode, or or, um, nuclear power off mode, or something. But go ahead, use your device or your Bible to follow along. We're going to begin 2 Samuel 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, David again brought together out of Israel... Chosen men, 30,000 in all. That's a big number. This is supposed to get our attention. This is a big deal. What are you gathering 30,000 men for? Verse 2, he and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. God is enthroned between these cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. Continuing in verse 2, they are on the Ark, those cherubim, and he is enthroned there. Let's pause here after verse 2. What we have here is a symbol, the Ark of the Covenant. It is not too dissimilar We're not doing it this morning, but on many Sundays, a couple Sundays of the month, we have the Lord's Supper. There is juice, and there is bread. It's a symbol, and it represents the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Ark of the Covenant was not too dissimilar from that. It was this tangible box that represented the power and presence of God. And there is a problem in the land as we come to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And that problem is that the ark of God is not where it should be, and it hasn't been where it should be for a long time. The ark of the covenant should be 
at the central place of worship that has been moving with God's people as we have journeyed through First and Second Samuel. The ark had been taken by God's enemies, and it should have been recaptured, and it should be moving, and it hasn't been moving, and it needs to be central in their life, in their community, and their worship. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 4. It says, So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. And the slaughter was very great, for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers, and the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. It was a long time ago that we were in 1 Samuel 4, but this is when the ark went astray. And it has been many, many decades where the ark has not been where it should be. Now, we are not told the chronological details in 2 Samuel 6. And I'm going to spare you referencing all of the verses that get a commentator to conclude this. But here's one commentator, after he's done the spade work of looking through the Old Testament, he says this, For 100 long years, the Ark of the Covenant had been separated from the tabernacle in other places of worship. It's maybe been 100 or 90 or 80. It has been many, many decades. Imagine no Lord's Supper, no Ark of the Covenant, this God-designed symbol that is central to their worship, that he is enthroned between, we've just read, enthroned between the cherubim that are on the Ark. And this has been neglected. So the problematic location of the Ark of the Covenant And David's heart is in the right place here. I want to remind you that for many of the passages that we read in 1 and 2 Samuel, there is a corresponding psalm that fits with that passage. And that is true for today's passage. And those of you that spend a lot of time in the psalms, it has been such a a blessing for me the last year or year and a half Uh, Many of you, I've said this before, I'm saying it again now. I got this new Psalms Bible, just the Psalms. And I have been reading this every single day because you get the emotion and the heart. And that is so much of who we are as people, our emotion in our heart. And so you get the emotion in the heart of David in Psalm 132. Just listen to his heart. This Psalm corresponds with 2 Samuel 6. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, All the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord. The swearing there is the oath he made, which isn't recorded in 1st or 2nd Samuel, the oath he made to get the ark where it should be. That's what the he swore refers to. He swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place For the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. He is referring to the Ark of the Covenant here. Behold, we heard it, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Ja'ar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. 
So there's David's heart. And in verses 1 and 2, he's got 30,000 guys together. This gets our attention. This is a huge event. This is a, a significant event in the history of Israel. And let's get the ark where it should be. And so let's come back to our text in 2 Samuel 6 and look at verses 3 and 4. The problem here is that the ark is not where it should be. So verse 3, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. Let's pause here after verses 3 and 4. So we have a problem in 1 and 2 of, of the location of the ark. Now we have a problem in verses 3 and 4 with the handling of the ark. Now, if you are not really familiar with the Old Testament, many of us are not, you, don't, you, you could have just skipped over this. Like, okay, so they, they, they put the ark on a cart. That makes a lot of sense uh, to, to have it on a cart. How are you going to carry it? Carts are, are good things. In our home, uh, on our deck, actually, we've got a great cart. Now, I don't want to boast about this gift, but I won't mention the person who purchased it, but we have a, a pizza oven on a cart on our deck. Someone, man, bought it in our home. Again, I'm not going to identify him. It's been one of the most uh, glorious presents that we have enjoyed 7,000 pieces of pizza since it was bought a few years ago, and it's on a cart, and we can wheel that thing from the back deck to the front deck or wherever. It's got the propane tank on the shelf underneath, and it is just sweet. So carts are good things. Carts are good things. But this, in this context, that is not the case. Those of you that know the Old Testament, when you read verses 3 and 4, alarm bells are going off in your mind that you do not carry the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. So this is a complicated passage because we just read of David's beautiful heart of getting the Ark where it should be. And it's going to get even more complicated. There's all kinds of God-glorifying, God-centered emotion and devotion and heart here. But we have a massive problem in verses 3 and 4. And that is that they are not following the Word of God and how the cart is to be transported. Look with me at Exodus chapter 25. It says, You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark with them. The Word of God is inspired. It is not up for debate. It is not up for, for changing if you are an Old Testament believer and you are given the task of transporting the ark, you should be aware that the scriptures address how to transport the ark. And here it is laid out. Well, is it really that big a deal? Well, let's look together at Numbers chapter 4. It says, After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, this would include the ark and lampstands and other things, and when the camp is ready to move, this is before Jerusalem, before the temple, when the central worship location is, is in transit, the Kohathites are to come to do the carrying. Now the Kohathites are a subunit of the Levites. 
So we have a very specific God-designated group of people who are to carry the ark, and we have a detailed way in how they are to carry it with those poles. But they must not touch the holy things or what? (laughs) This is a big deal. When God says, do this, and if you don't do this, you will die, that's like shorthand for, this is a big deal. This is how you move the Ark of the Covenant that symbolizes his presence. You have certain people designated, the Kohathites, and they are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. If we continue in Numbers and look down at verse 20, it says, But the Kohathites must not go into, must not go in to look at the holy things, even for a moment or they will die. I think there's a movie that picked up on this, um, Numbers 420. You guys see that movie? Uh, This is serious. You don't mess around and even glance at this. So we have a problematic handling of the ark that they are using a cart. Where did they get this idea? Another uh, commentator writes this. He says, uh, at the same time, However, David, his first attempt to do so, to get the ark to Jerusalem, follows Philistine rather than Levitical procedure. Remember, the Philistines had captured the ark. David and his men brought the ark from Abinadab's house by transporting it on a new cart, the method earlier used by the Philistines. This is a bad way to transport the ark. So we have a problem that the ark is not in the central location of the worshiping community. We have a problem in how it is being handled. But we have complexity in this text. There's nuance. Just like your life and my life, it's not always all black or all white or all uh, terrible or all glorious. Look at verse 5. Back to our text, 2 Samuel 6. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord. I love that phrase. That's, uh, you know, I pray that on Sunday mornings that we would be singing with all our might. Uh, That's not normal. We need God to be at work in us. We need to to see how beautiful and glory is to actually raise our voices and sing with all their might. This is what's going on. It's beautiful. They're singing with all their might before the Lord with songs and with harps with lyres, with tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. So the worship of of Yahweh, the God enthroned in the Ark of the Covenant, uh, this is going on, and David's motive is good to get this thing where it should be. Um, this, This makes what is about to happen very difficult for the reader, and it was very difficult for David. So what is about to happen? You know, the passage was already read. Many of you are familiar with this story. It's, it's one that, that, that stays in our minds. So let's take a look and see what happens. This is the event that, that remains with us when we read this unit of Scripture. Verse 6. So when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down 
And he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. Uzzah paradoxically means strength. And just as the reader is suffering here, why, God? I mean, this, this, was, this was a man who mostly is in a context here of, of, of doing good, bringing the ark to where it should be. The community is worshiping. 30,000 chosen men gathered. And, and the oxen stumble. And in that moment, I think his heart was a, a good heart, a heart to stop the ark from falling on the ground. And so we see the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and Uzzah's life is taken. So how are we, as Christ followers, to understand this and to take this? How is the God who loves us so very much that he sent his son to die on the cross and be raised on the third day, how, how, does, he, how does he do this? How do we process this. Uh, the judgment for mishandling the Ark of the Covenant, I would like to suggest a, a new framework about asking the question. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have the emotional response that most of us have if we actually enter into this story and think of Uzzah as this real historical person who was killed in this moment. And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't respond like, well, why didn't someone else get killed? Why isn't David killed? Or what, what, what? There's so many people involved here. So I'm not saying we shouldn't have that emotional response. But what I think, in light of all Scripture, what is going on here, and the way that we should reframe our question, is instead of asking that question, we should ask the question, why is God so incredibly patient with us? When we disobey him in all kinds of ways, whether it's how to carry an ark or whether it's in telling the truth and not lying or not cheating or not putting ourselves in a better light than we should, how uh, putting ourselves in a better light than we should, I want to suggest that the, the question that we should ask is how is God so incredibly merciful and patient with you and with me and with Israel for all of the ways that they just ignore him and his word? So in this moment, God decides to display his wrath and his judgment. And God does this in a variety of places, in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Now, if you're thinking, well, this is the Old Testament, and God has kind of had some, some kind of a transformation, and he doesn't do this thing anymore, uh, you would be thinking wrongly. We're going to look at what he does in the New Testament that is very similar to this. But one commentator, he writes this. He says, Uzzah was transporting the ark in a cart rather than carrying it on his shoulders, and there is no evidence that he was a Kohathite, a, Le a Kohathite Levite in any event. So we have the, the wrong person, we have the wrong people, the wrong method, ignoring the word of God. God wants to show 
Uzzah and the people in that ancient context and all of the believers since that time when this has been recorded to show us how important it is to pay attention and to obey the word of God for our own good and for God's glory. The question I would say rather is why has God been so gracious to me when I have done things so blatantly against his word? Another commentator writes this. He says, even though Uzzah's motive was clearly to prevent desecration as he reached out to stop it, his fault was occasioned by the earlier mistake in the mode of transporting the ark. And it wasn't just his alone. It it, it was others as well. But he reached out and touched it. And we are not in the position to ask God why he has been inconsistent. God is God, and he most often shows patience and tolerance and mercy and grace to us. But there are times when his judgment and wrath are poured out, and this is one of those times. Another commentator writes this, Approach God only according to his revealed instruction. I might say that this is the summary of this whole unit of Scripture. And so you and I should respond to this passage saying to ourselves, how does God want me to approach him? When I'm driving down Highway 49, alone in the car, and I'm thinking about God, or I'm praying, or I'm singing a praise song, how does he want me to approach him? When we gather on Sunday mornings, how does he want me to approach him? The answer to that question is revealed in his word, and we need to be intimately familiar with his word. That is why he has given it to us. It is the most important intake into our lives. And these folks have gotten far away from the word of God when it comes to how to deal, how to transport, how to deal, how to respect the ark that represents who God is. Approach God only according to his revealed instruction. So I mentioned um, a moment ago that God does this kind of thing in the New Testament as well. Uh, Some of you probably know where I'm about to go. There's a couple. Who is it? Ananias and Sapphira. Only one person in the front row, of course, knows the answer to that question. Most of you are just quiet. I know many of you know the answer to that question, but next week you should sit in the front row. Um, (laughs) So for those of you not familiar with Ananias and Sapphira, let me just briefly tell you this story. We're not going to turn to it, but in Acts 5, there's a couple, uh, like, like many of you, uh, like my wife and I, they, she, they owned a piece of property, and they sold the piece of property. And that's all well and good. You could sell it. You could not sell it. We have tremendous freedoms in Christ. You could have a business on it. You could raise cattle on it. You could do whatever you want. You could sell it. And they sold it. And then the, so the problem wasn't in selling the property. The problem was that they said, hey church, here's all the money from the property. Here's all of it. We sold our property. But front row, help me out. So what happened? They kept some of it. 
Look at these front row folks. I need to sit in the front row. They lied. They kept some of the money. They, they, they came up um, uh, uh, to the pulpit and they said, hey church, here, here's, here's all the money from the property. Now here's the, here's the deal here. If we're honest, we've all done something like that. Not property, but we've all made ourselves look better than we actually are in the front of others. It's called lying and pride. And what did God do to Ananias and Sapphira? He struck them dead in judgment. Now, there's a lot of mystery to why God does what he did to Ananias and Sapphira, why he did what he did to Uzzah, and why he showed so much patience and mercy and tolerance with, with you and me and with others, and if we go back to 2 Samuel 6, who were involved in, in the desecrating the ark, if you will, and not following the word of God. There, there are many people, and he showed patience and mercy and tolerance with them. So what, what we... So I guess one conclusion I want to make from both of those things is, is both of these acts of judgment through death are at moments where God's people are about to do something new. Now, I, I'm just observing that. I, I don't know why God mostly shows mercy and tolerance and patience with me and with you when we make ourselves look better than we actually are and lie and he doesn't take our lives. It's happened to thousands or millions of believers, but he took them. So the takeaway here for me is, I, I don't know exactly why, but here in 2 Samuel 6, they're about to begin a new era, moving toward the temple and the ark in Jerusalem, the city of David. And in Acts, a new era of, of the church, the people of God, is no longer an, an ethno-linguistic people, a people who speaks a certain language and, and looks a certain way and has a certain skin color. It's going to be people who are black and white and Chinese and Indian and everything, every tribe, every nation, churches all over the world. God is about to do something new. He's already doing it in Acts. And so as he's about to do something new, he, he, he does this. And the takeaway for you and me is that we need to know the Word of God and we need to think about what it says to us in the New Covenant about how to approach him. So Uzzah was judged. Ananias and Sapphira were judged with death. And you and I have been shown mercy. And our response should be, is I am going to be a man or a woman of the word. And I'm going to live my life in a way with joy and enthusiasm where I am aware of the basics of how to deal with the Lord's Supper or with the Ark of the Covenant if I'm an Old Testament believer leaving in ancient Israel. I'm going to know. Why wasn't there somebody in, in conversation? It, it, could have been, it could have been someone from the youth group who said, you know, I, I was in a Sunday school class and they were reading the scripture and I think I, I remember them saying that we're supposed to use these acacia poles. Like a high schooler could have said that in the, in, the, in the periphery when they were getting ready to move the ark. And someone could have gotten one of the Levites and said, hey, is this, this, this young man, that didn't happen. 
there was an unfamiliarity, an unf- and, and a lack of, of detailed obedience and familiarity to the Word of God. Let's come back to our text. I'm going to get through these next few verses and then three implications or applications of it. So we've made it through verse 8. Let's look at 9 and 10. Yeah, so we've seen David's anger in verse 8. We're at 9 and 10. David was afraid of the Lord, of Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So I'm reading this as repentance now. David sees, uh, yeah, we we're not doing this right. We were worshiping. We had a great time. My motive was right, but, but we, we, I, I blew it. So how can the ark of, of Yahweh ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of Yahweh to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And guess what tribe Obed-Edom the Gittite is from? Front row, say Levite. And not only is he a Levite, but he is a Kohathite. So the careful reader here recognizes that David is making a turn. We did not have the right people carrying the ark. We didn't have the right procedure in carrying the ark. So we're going to get it in the care of the right people. Repentance. For mishandling the Ark of the Covenant, for you and me, repentance. For not being close to the Word of God. Not knowing it, not applying it. Verse 11, last verse for today. The Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him. This is what God wants to do when his Word is followed and he's worshipped according to his word. He wants to bless his people. And that is what is happening in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant when it's in the care of a Kohathite, a Levite, and he is blessed. We don't have time to go there, but in First Chronicles 26, um, in, in the ancient world, blessing came through crops and kids, and he had eight sons, and he was blessed. That's mentioned in First Chronicles 26. In our last few minutes here, want to talk about application or implication for you and me in this passage. So three ways to respond to this passage. Number one, and I phrase these as prayers. God help me. I've already worked through this myself this week and preparing the sermon. I'm praying now that you will be working through this. God help me to see common ways are not always biblical ways. The common way here was to transfer the Ark of the Covenant by a cart. This is what's been going on. The Philistines did it. The Israelites have done it. That's what we're going to do. That's what they were familiar with. We can see God's people doing things that we just kind of join in in doing that can actually be against God's word. So we need our eyes opened. We need our eyes opened. In verse 5, they were worshiping massively. Back in 2 Samuel 6, they're worshiping with all their hearts and they're singing with all they have. And that's contrasted. Our unit 
of Scripture with verses 3 and 4, where they're just very far from what the Word of God says. So this is just a common thing that was going on. Everybody's doing this, and, and, and we're going to do it as well. So we need God's help, you and I do, to see that the church, Christ followers, sometimes are doing things that we just kind of join along with that are actually very far from Scripture. One of the passages that's been most helpful in my uh, life has been uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Let me just read it to you. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. God cares about how you and I think. He cares about how we act, but he also cares about our thought life and what's in our hearts. And he wants us to think thoughts that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. And I want to suggest that at times we just kind of go along and we get far from the scriptures as well in the way that we live and do life. There's a lot of um, movies that come out in the summer that we go to. And as believers, everything that we do we do with the Holy Spirit. We don't have a temple in Jerusalem. The temple in the New Covenant is our bodies, where God himself dwells, the Holy Spirit. And he goes with us, whether it's in thought, or whether it is in geography, or to a theater. And we sometimes go to movies that we shouldn't go to. They're not true or noble or pure or lovely. Or we watch them at home. Everybody, Christians, watch them. But they are evil, some of them. And we need God's help to see that common ways are not always biblical ways. Another passage, Job 31.1, says, I made a covenant with my eyes uh, not to look lustfully at a girl. And yet, we may pay money and go see a movie where a woman is naked. I'm talking to mostly men right now. And I want to suggest that that is not good. And we are a lot like the ancient Israelites who can worship very joyfully and boldly. boldly. And then we do not follow what God's Word says. We need His help to open our eyes. We need His help to be discerning about entertainment, whether it's on our phones or our homes or in movie theaters. One of the pastors who's helped me a lot, he writes this on this subject. He says, I have a high tolerance for violence, a high tolerance for bad language in movies, and zero tolerance for nudity. There is a reason for these differences. The violence is make-believe. 
They don't really mean those bad words. But that lady is really naked. And I'm really watching. And somewhere, she has a broken-hearted father. We are not too dissimilar from the ancient Israelites. Those of us who are familiar with the text of the Old Testament, when we get to 2 Samuel 6, yeah, they're not doing what they're supposed to. The more mature way to respond to 2 Samuel 6 is that all of us have blindness. We have even familiarity with God's word, and yet we get comfortable with doing things that are completely against his word. Reading a a book by this guy, Daniel Kahneman, he says, we can be blind to the obvious, and we are also blind to our blindness. This isn't a Christian book. This is a psychologist. There are massive spiritual implications and truth to that statement. The ancient Israelites were blind to their blindness. The reader who's familiar with the text can see it. So this is where preaching is very difficult because I don't know what you are blind to and you likely don't know what you are blind to as well. So we need to saturate our minds and hearts with the word of God. It is the most important thing that we intake into ourselves compared to other media. It is the most important And we also need brothers and sisters who help us to not be blind, to to see through our blindness. The same book, he writes this, he says, A reliable way to make people believe in falsehoods is frequent repetition because familiarity is not easily distinguished from truth. When we get used to carrying the ark on a cart, We are used to carrying the ark on a cart. So familiarity is not easily distinguished from truth. We need the word of God in us more than anything else to live joyful, beautiful, God-glorifying lives. So three things. God help me to see common ways are not always biblical ways. God help me to carefully and constantly internalize Scripture. And this is a spiritual work I'm talking about. It's a spiritual work. Look on the screen with me at Psalm 119. The psalmist says, How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, I think honey was the sweetest thing. I think that was the psalmist's favorite dessert. I had honey this morning on a biscuit, and it was good, but it's not my favorite dessert. So I'm going to contextualize a little bit here for 2023. They didn't have mocha mud pie in ancient Israel with luscious layers of Haagen-Dazs coffee ice cream over layers of a decadent mocha mousse on top of an Oreo cookie crust topped off with hot fudge, whipped cream, and almonds sprinkled all around it. That's what my wife makes me for my birthday. But this is, uh, this is actually serious. 
because the flesh makes it very easy to, to love honey or mocha mud pie. But to love the Word of God like that is a special thing. It is a spiritual thing. It is a supernatural thing. This is what the psalmist experienced, and some of you are experiencing it now. Some of you aren't. Some of you have not been in the Word of God. You, 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 you are so far from being able to express this that it's, it's sweeter than mocha mud pie to me, the Word of God. This is where we want to be. This is, this is what sermons are about. We need God's grace so that this is true about me, so that I don't put the ark on a cart. The psalmist goes on. We just start over. How sweet are your words to my taste. It's sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Oh, how glorious it would be to hate putting myself in a better light than I should with some falsehood. To hate that. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How does the Christian in 2023 respond to this passage? God, help me to see that common ways are not always biblical ways. What people are doing is not biblical often. That's 2 Samuel 6. That's true today as well. To carefully and constantly internalize Scripture. We memorize it. We read it on our phones. We read it in our new Psalms Bible. I was going to say, how did I lose something up here? It's right here. Um, maybe you need a new Bible. I, I, I don't know what you need. But this is a small thing. But I, I picked this thing up and it has just been so good for me. I don't know what you need to do. I don't know what you are blind to. But I know that you need to carefully and constantly internalize Scripture. And the last thing I want to do as we finish is like lay guilt upon you. I want you to be full of hope that to live a joyful life, this is, this is what I long for. So an honest response might be, man, the, the, the Bible is so far from honey to me or so far from mocha mud pie that your response is just, God, God, help me to move in that direction, to move in that direction so that I could eventually carefully and constantly internalize Scripture. But until you, until you love it and long for it and we need his help, we need his grace to help us to do that. And then finally, God, help me to approach you with, with, with humility. We need to John the Baptist this thing, this life. They didn't do that. There was nobody going, you know, I'm not sure that we should use a cart. They're doing what they want to do. John the Baptist, my summary of him is, is may God increase and may I decrease. Nobody was doing that when it came to, the, to how to transport the ark. I'm not really sure how to proceed, God. I'm very small, and you are big, and I want you in my life. So I'm going to approach this situation, this decision, this, this transportation of the ark with humility. How should I do it? And I'm going to start by looking at your word. God help me to see common ways are not always biblical ways, to carefully and constantly internalize scripture, and to approach you with humility. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, we, um, we are so desperate for your help. Uh, some of us, um, 
all of us, Lord, are deserving of judgment, whether that's today or last week or last year or the last decade, we are deserving of it. And yet, by and large, you have shown patience and mercy with us and have not showed us wrath. So we are thankful for that. And I pray that this would not just be the 7,000th sermon that we've listened to, but that God would be at work in ways right now that I I couldn't plan or, or write out. And that people are praying with me right now who need your grace for some particular area of life. And that we would be thankful that we've received mercy and that we would change. Help us to internalize your word, to saturate ourselves with the gospels, with the epistles, with the psalms, with the whole counsel of God. And may we live lives with joy overflowing and abundant joy, more than we could ask or imagine or expect because we are close to you. Help us to be close to you and like you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.